What is an apostle? Uh, are you an apostle? And uh, you know, who can be an apostle? Now that word, that term apostle, it, it's, it's about used 89 or so times in the whole of the New Testament. And its frequency, it's a very frequent word, underlines the importance that that office it, it, you know, is kind of held within, within the Bible. I was going to put up a picture of the man Joseph Ratzinger. You will know him as the 16th uh, Benedict, um, that is Benedict XVI, the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, the Roman Catholic Church, it believes in something called apostolic succession, believing that the Pope receives his authority directly from the Apostle Peter, who we've just been reading about in the book of Acts. So each Pope is appointed, and an apostolic authority is passed on, succeeded to the next through the laying on of hands and the prayers of the appointing cardinals. Now the Pope is therefore believed, as an apostle, so he says, to be able to define truth, as apostles here we see in this book uh, in Acts uh, will do. Therefore, Catholics believe when the Pope speaks, and the term is called ex-cathedra, when he speaks, he witnesses to the revelation given him by Jesus Christ. As a result, it is believed in the Roman Catholic Church that he speaks a, a truth and determines truth, even if that can contradict with the word of God as revealed in the Bible in front of us. Most famously, I suppose, in recent history, the perpetual virginity is one of those, the perpetual virginity of Mary is one of those truth declarations by the Pope when he spoke in ex cathedra which can't be established within the Bible. So is that man, Pope Benedict XVI, an apostle, as he claims to be? The word apostle simply means sent one. Now it's used in the New Testament of Jesus himself, because he was a sent one. It's used of Jesus' witnesses as they were sent out to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. It's used of them. But the vast majority of the uses of the word apostle within the New Testament directly go toward the twelve, the twelve apostles, eleven of which we read about in our story today. And of course later, of Paul, who was commissioned as apostle to go to the ends of the earth. We'll see that as we go through the book of Acts. Those are Christ's witnesses. They are the apostles, if you like. And it's this, these apostles who would be the means of the witness of the Holy Spirit, as it was given. More of that next week. Meaning the writings of the apostles uh, are governed by the Holy Spirit. And therefore, what we see, will be, they will be the foundation of the church that is established. For these are the men who are inspired by the Holy Spirit and define what is truth. The truth of Jesus Christ. Of what he has said and what he has done. These apostles in Luke 22, if you want to go back there, they are the ones. Well, that's loud, isn't it? Um, the, the apostles in Luke 20, 22, those defined group of people, they are the ones who will sit on the throne of judgment to judge not the people as judges, but they are described as such in Luke 22 because. They sit in judgment because of what they have been authoritatively 
and inspired to write. They are the ones who have defined truth as written in the word of God that you had in front of you. And that is what we will be judged against. So in Luke 22 they're described as judges, not literary judges, that's Christ alone. But also in Revelation 21 we, we, we see of these names of the apostles, they appear on the gates of heaven. Which again symbolises that what they have written, what you have in your laps in front of you, is the standard by which you enter heaven in eternity with God. On the gates of heaven, interestingly, Revelation 21, it's not only the names of the apostles, but it's also the names of the, the heads of the twelve tribes of Israel too. And that shows us that the leaders of God's people before Jesus, who trusted in the gospel, represented by the twelve sons of Jacob, and the leaders since Jesus, that is the twelve apostles, they are the names on the gates of heaven. And the apostles are there because they have this distinct role in history to witness of the works of God now through Jesus Christ, empowered by his spirit. The apostles were not the local church leaders in the New Testament. Those are the, uh, the elders. They were appointed for that role. Rather, the apostles went around at this unique time. Don't look at Acts as a kind of, oh, this is normal. This is unique historical kind of salvation history, God history. And the apostles were around at that unique time, defining a united body of truth on which the church would be built and established. Also, just as Jesus um, had authenticated himself and his message through his miracles, so too the apostles, when you read of them in, in Acts, they are distinct by their miraculous work. Christ empowers them for this unique period of history, for his miraculous work. And they perform numbers of miracles which you can read about. Commonly, therefore, it's recognised that these apostles are the discrete unit of twelve that are later added to to make thirteen, including Paul. Now, of course, we, we can all be referred to as apostles, can't we? We are sent, if we are Christians, we are sent ones. Sent by God to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, as we saw last week in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. To take the gospel to all nations. But understand, what we're reading about here are the distinct, the apostles if you like. Distinct in history by their role and also their power demonstrated in the, in the miracles. Therefore, hello... <laughs> Therefore, it is at best confusing that various church leaders, for example, our gospel friends, and they are our friends in the gospel, of the NFI churches in this country, the New Frontiers churches, they would describe their senior leaders as apostles. I think that is at best confusing. But when you look at, let's say, um, the Catholic church, I think that then you get into the situation where it is it becomes arrogant to use that term, as the Pope does of himself and his position. So let's look at this passage, shall we? I hope you will see from it that I don't think anyone can use the title as it is used here of the Apostles. Not now, or any time in the future. But why is that so important? Well, because the Apostles, as we saw last week... They are the ones who are authorised to continue the work of Jesus, to witness of his work 
and his life to the ends of the earth. And because we are involved in that work, we need to know how that is going to happen. What authority that we have, what authority they have. So let's read from verse 12. Good to remember at this stage, Jesus has just ascended. Now don't imagine they're all sitting back and having pina coladas and just relaxed at this stage. I guess there's an element of shock. Yes, one would imagine that, wouldn't you? If you've seen someone enveloped in a cloud of God's glory, one would imagine there's a sense of, ooh, something big's just happened. Let's look at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day's walk from the city. Now, only one, uh, in Jewish law, you were only allowed to walk about one kilometre. It was measured in stadia at that time. And that walk that's just been described fell in into that kind of, so they're not breaking any kind of Jewish laws there. It was taking about 15 minutes. Verse 13, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present, think about the order here of the way that these apostles are written down. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Altheus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. Eleven there, yeah? One obviously missing, we know why and we'll come to that in a bit. Um, The same disciples and apostles which Luke had noted in his gospel when he'd written down their names there. Do you notice the different order? Where before the apostles were grouped in brothers... As they were called, Peter, Andrew, came together as brothers, and so on. Now they are grouped in what seems like a hierarchical order, as, it, as was sort of leading the church in Jerusalem at that time. First among them, you'll see, is Peter. Let's continue, look at verse 14. They all joined together constantly in prayer. It's very humbling, isn't it? Constantly they joined in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus. And with his brothers. So we get to our outline there. You'll see um, we're returning to Jerusalem. That's the kind of context. Notice the brothers of Jesus are mentioned there. Did you see that? Um, not, they're not apostles. They're not in the list of apostles. Which I think... It's good there that, that that is mentioned. Because there can be no nepotistic slander. From the headlines, can they? You can imagine the tabloids looking around for kind of, oh, he's picked his brothers, you know, to be one of the apostles. There's not that there, is there? No, Jesus had chosen his apostles. They're not appointed due to any kind of, oh, you're in my family, so you can join the club. They're appointed by Jesus for the role that they have. Notice these verses slightly destroy the Roman Catholic teaching that Mary is a perpetual virgin. The brothers are noted and also realise that she was revered within history, when when history was written down in this era, women were never noted. If you read Jewish history, Greek history, women are never in any historical documents. But note here that the Bible consistently again and again and again chooses to make note of women within history, because it honours women, gives value to women, and appreciates women for all the good gifts that they have. But what are they doing? Look at it, verse 12 to 14, I've put down there, they constantly prayed. I said it's humbling, isn't it? And Luke wants us to understand that before the Spirit came, they did exactly what was appropriate. They prayed. And if we 
I mean, it's, it's, it's Sunday school stuff, isn't it? Like, I should be teaching this upstairs. But if we want to know the kindness and the, and the love and the blessings of God in all of its intimate fullness, then we've got to pray. It's the great gift from God. Uh, James says, we do not have because we do not ask. Uh, and that's so true, isn't it? I'm sure given their recent events, the apostles had much to ask of God at this time in their prayer lives. We know from verse 15, look at the number there, they numbered about 120, and in Jewish law, that was actually the minimum number that was required to set up a new covenant community of believers. I wonder whether that's a good, sensible number to have a church planting minimum. Who knows? We'll perhaps find that in time. But as they gathered, they prayed. Let's note two characteristics of their prayer first. Look at it. Firstly, they prayed what? Constantly. You see that? Literally, that word means busily, persistently. That was the character, it was the hallmark of the apostles' ministry. If you go to Acts chapter 6, verse 4, you see that they devoted themselves to two priorities, of prayer and of preaching. The fact that Jesus had promised his spirit would, I'm sure, kind of spurred them on in their prayers. But it also, I think, shows that even though God is this sovereign king in control of everything, it doesn't render our prayer useless. It is in response to persistent, busy praying from God, from us, God's people, to him, our Heavenly Father, that God delights to answer our prayers. That should give us confidence to pray. Knowing he will hear and answer prayers, maybe not according to our will, but according to what he deems best for us and for his glory. Prayer is a great gift, isn't it? I wonder if you value it as much as the apostles did. Do you fail to practice prayer? I've looked at myself and my practices this week and I... I know that I'm a loser in the pejorative sense, but also I'm a loser because I lose in all the blessing and the kindness and the answers to prayer that God longs to give to me, just because I fail to pray, constantly pray. That's the application here, surely, isn't it? Secondly, we see that prayer was united. Do you see that there? The word together. You see that word together in verse 14? It's a favourite word of Luke. He says it again and again in Acts. It doesn't just mean they met in the same place, together. It meant that they were together, united, in agreement for what they were praying for. Now, we don't know what they were praying. It's not written down there, is it? But simply know that they knew their mission. Chapter 1, verse 8, to be witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And they knew the Spirit was coming. And I think those two things, Acts 1.8 and the gift of the Spirit that was to come, I guess that would be enough to unite them in their prayer, don't you think? As I said, prayer is a great thing. It is a wonderful gift from God. How then is it that we can go a whole day sometimes without ever intimately enjoying that conversation with our Heavenly Father that longs to answer our prayers. How arrogant is it to expect anything, any favour, any blessing in those ways of answered prayer 
we need to constantly pray. United in our gospel priorities of being witnesses to the ends of the earth and longing for the day when Christ returns. Let's continue. Look at down the story, verse 15 now, if you can. In those days, in those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Just note, in those days, there. You see, those days are referring to the ten days, the ten days between Jesus' ascension into heaven and the coming of the Spirit in chapter 2, as we'll look at next week. And Luke points out just one thing, just one thing that happens in those 10-day period. Such was its importance in the history of the church. And you can imagine, the disciples are there. There they are praying, whilst all the, probably studying the scriptures again, reminding themselves of all the things that Jesus had taught them in his resurrected form. But, but, but one thing during this, paper, uh, this period seems to be missing. It was so important. There was a player on the team missing. The twelfth man had gone. And uh, there were one apostle short of a full kind of compliment here. And more importantly, by implication, look at it here. You see that the appointment had to be made of the twelfth apostle before the Spirit had come. That's the kind of the implied message of this passage. And why is this so important? Why do you need twelve? Why won't eleven do? Why can't you, you know, wait till Paul comes along as the twelfth you know, kind of apostle in Acts chapter 8 and 9. Why can't we just wait for him and kind of lop him in as, as the 12th man of the, you know, the apostles in Jerusalem? Well, remember back to Luke 22, verse 30, if you want to look at it later. They knew that there would be 12 apostles on the thrones, therefore being the foundation of God's new era of, of, of God's people in the church. There had to be 12 sons of Jacob who were the foundation of Israel. Now there are going to be 12 apostles. To be the foundation of the new church. That would be empowered through the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You see because the, the Holy Spirit was to be given to all of God's people. All the representatives. That is all the twelve. Needed to be appointed for when the Spirit was to come. So what happens? Look at verse 15. Peter stood up to preach. It's maybe not the first thing you expect. But it's a great thing to do as a leader. He points people back to the word of God. Look what he said in verse 16. Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago. Now this is one of many sermons in Acts. This is the first sermon in Acts, actually. And it's about the appointment of the twelfth apostle. Because this means now that the Spirit will witness to the words and the work of Christ. If the apostle is appointed. This is such a critical appointment. Notice Peter Peter teaches from the Old Testament. He goes back to the scriptures which they all knew. To show what had been promised. And what is now being fulfilled. in In Christ and through his apostles. So Peter makes two points in his sermon. We're going to look at those. If you cast your eyes down to your outline. You'll see. Uh, kind of roughly summarise, that's the, the points he's making. We're going to look at them briefly together now. Firstly, scripture foretold both the betrayal, but also the replacement of Judas. Firstly then, let's look at the betrayal, shall we? Um, Peter begins by observing that scripture had to be fulfilled with words which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David. It's extraordinary this, isn't it? God employs... The Holy Spirit to get great King David a thousand years before these events 
to speak words that will be fulfilled through Judas's betrayal. Judas is, of course, a, a disciple, a close companion of all the apostles. I guess we need to learn from that very briefly. Just to think of this aside: that Judas, close companion, seeing all that Christ has done, but betrays Christ. I think we can simply learn that that illustrates, I guess, how hostile all of us potentially can be towards the Lord Jesus Christ. I think we're probably all uh, potentials for that kind of betrayal, but for the grace of God. Now, although God has foretold of Judas's betrayal, Judas is the instigator of his betrayal. He's responsible. He can't sort of pass the buck and say, oh, it wasn't me. He's responsible, as we all are, for our own sin. After Peter's introduction of Judas, you see then, Luke adds this kind of, it's like an editor's footnote. You see that in verse 18 and 19? To explain what had happened to Judas. Now, you will know, if you know your Bibles, Matthew 27, um, Judas um, is described in very different ways. His death is described in different ways there. And... I suppose what's happening is it's being looked at from different directions. Different emphases are placed. It's a bit gory, isn't it? I won't kind of repeat it here. But you'll see from uh, Matthew 27 and the account here that there are different emphases, but they're coming to the same kind of story and, uh, and concluding the same point, really. Luke simply inserts these historical facts here because as he stated at the beginning of Acts, he wants to write an, an orderly account That is, he can't miss out and forget this historical detail. It's got to be there. The two quotes in verse 20, they come from Psalms, and and they're they're key to this as a kind of fulfilment of Scripture. Peter had realised that Judas, being the greatest enemy of Christ, was fulfilling that which was generally wished for, for the enemies of God's anointed king, which is the context in Psalm 69, which has been quoted there. And Judas, he's saying... To use the words of Psalm 69 there, he's saying, may your place be deserted. See, Judas, his death is a fulfilment of the Old Testament. And by his judgment, you can see that his betrayal is foretold. His place is deserted. The field which he purchases becomes, if you like, a cemetery. It's deserted. And in so doing, it fulfills all that was said a thousand years before. In Psalm 69 by King David. So the betrayal is noted. Let's go on. Look at the replacement if you can. Peter shows again that through Old Testament scripture that Judas needs to be replaced. Now he quotes Psalm 109 at the end of verse 20. It's similar to the previous one. But this time God's enemies who have been found guilty. They're the ones who need to be replaced. See Peter understood that both of these prophecies. Psalm 69 and the one we just see. Though originally about King David and his enemies, they help us and inform us of King Jesus, not King David. They are fulfilled in the work of King Jesus and his betrayals. Peter understood that the betrayal of Jesus was not some disappointing failure. You can't imagine God in heaven go, oh, I didn't see that happening. Oh, dear, you know, having a chat with his angels go, can you believe that? I really didn't see that. Did you? Oh no, there's no speculation there. This is not a kind of disappointing failure that Jesus had been crucified much earlier than planned. 
because of this betrayal by Judas. This is no kind of tabloid headline here of kind of, wow, God is shocked. No. In fact, it had been planned and foretold by God centuries earlier. And also we learn that Peter understood that the apostles were the foundation of God's Christian people. There had to be twelve. There had to be twelve. Can you imagine their shock as it dawned on them that their previous friend and colleague, Judas, this man who had seen so much of Christ's work, who had been amongst them, had seen so supportive, so zealous at times, so he great preaching, great, he did so much. Can you imagine their shock as Peter kind of unveiled the fact that this, a thousand years previously, had been foretold that their friend, their colleague, that man, Judas, was going to betray their Lord and Saviour. What a shock. Terrible shock. I remember a few years back, when Zach was born actually, my my youngest boy, we had a bit of a shock. We were told with 95% certainty that Zach was going to be a girl. Don't say that to him. He knows actually, I think. But you know, can you imagine the shock? You're there, we're kind of expecting a girl, and whoom, out it comes, and like, woo, that's not a girl. <laughs> he didn't have a name for three days. One that we could, actually, we, we had a home group around our house that night, and they all came up with the most ridiculous Bible names uh, for, for Zach. We didn't actually take up on any of them, but there we go. He only had pink things to wear for three days. <laughs> I think he's still scarred by that fact, but what a shock. We were, we were, for three days, we were kind of going, oh, well, those names aren't going to do. Probably better not give them that. Let's move on, shall we? And let's find some boys. Yeah. It was a shock. But I guess what, we, what we're seeing here is just, it's like the shock of the century, isn't it? These apostles realised, I guess at this point, wow, there's only 11 of us now. Something needs to be done. We need the complete 12 before the Spirit is going to come. And we can... Bring up um, this new era of God's uh, new church to be established. So secondly, Peter realised, you see in our outlines there, Peter realised that a qualified witness must be chosen by Christ. A qualified witness must be chosen by Christ. So firstly, they choose someone who's qualified. You see that in, cast your eyes down, verse 21 and 22. Someone needs to be qualified for this role. And you see the qualifications. Now firstly, they had to be a man. And that is continuing biblical practices of male leadership. Now that is not to diminish women at all, or their role, or their significance, uh, or their honour before God. But the biblical practices of male leadership needed to be continued. Second qualification. They needed to be with us the whole time. Do you see that? With us the whole time there? The apostle had to be with Jesus since the beginning of his earthly ministry. through the whole time. They couldn't have taken a little vacation off the Crete at some point. They had to be there the whole time. They had to be there, as you see at the beginning of John's baptism, until he was taken up. The whole of Jesus' ministry. Verse 22. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. That is, they had to have seen, been um, taught by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And when the canon, the Bible, was formed a couple of centuries after this, that was one of the the absolute guidelines, the the benchmark of any inclusion of a letter or a a gospel within the Bible. That that the person had to be, the, the letter had to be apostolic in nature. Had to have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ and been taught by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. 
So you've got to ask the question, is the current Pope, given those qualifications that you see in verse 21 and 22, is the current Pope, Benedict XVI, an apostle? Using the terms that we've seen here and the qualifications. Are the leaders of the NFI churches within our countries apostles, as they use that term there? Well, I guess they would have to be over 2,000 years old. Hello again. And they would have to be over 2,000 years old and have seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. So I'll let you make your judgment on that one. Not only did they have to be qualified, secondly we see they had to be chosen by Christ. We look down now at verse 23 and 26 to 26. Now, it gets a little bit odd here, doesn't it? The casting of lots. So you see the necessary qualifications of the 11 apostles. That they conclude, don't they? They've got two candidates in mind. I guess it's like a job interview of some kind. You know, they've gone through, whittled down. You get down to the last two. There they are. Joseph, who's got numerous other names, and Matthias as well. And so they pray. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Look what they say. I think, I think that what they're doing, they're coming and they're recognising before Jesus that you know our desires, you know our abilities, you know our, you know our thoughts. It perhaps indicates that they've done their best. They've looked at the CVs, they've kind of whittled it down and they go, we can't really decide anymore. We've got two very good possible candidates. The choice is yours, Jesus. You've got to choose the 12th man. But doesn't it seem a little bit strange what happens? Maybe even a little bit irreverent? To be casting lots in order to choose the twelfth man who would establish and bring in the spirit and, and uh, complete the, the apostolic kind of group there. To be Christ's witnesses. Doesn't it seem a bit odd? Let's just pick a lot, shall we? Doesn't that seem a bit strange? Can you imagine if in November... The American elections, you've got, is it Mitt Romney, the Republican, and you've got the, you know, Barack Obama's just been voted as the Democratic uh, candidate, hasn't he? Can you imagine if those two, it's complete, I know this is never going to happen, okay, but just work with me. Uh, can you imagine if it's a complete tie? Every state is locked by perfect numbers on each side. And it comes down to the fact the Senate kind of gather and they go, I know what we'll do, let's get two pencils, we'll stick them in our hands, who gets the longest wins? Can you imagine the uproar that would, would happen? How it would seem to diminish the, the kind of politics and nature of what's going on there? It would be extraordinary. Well, rather than pencils, probably what's going on here in Acts chapter 1 here is they, they cast lots, little stones into an earthen pot that would be on their laps. And you've got to ask, why not? Because Proverbs 16, verse 33 says this, The lot is cast into the lap, but every decision is from the Lord. They've got every reason to do this. That is to to say, the, the apostles knew that God is sovereign. See, God could decide who would pick the longest pencil in Washington. He could do that. And likewise, he knows who will win the lottery every week. Does that mean we should all go out and buy a ticket? Probably not, because I don't think it's the best stewardship of the money that God has given you. But perhaps if we prayed, what if we prayed? If we were to win £80 million or whatever it is, and that we would give every penny away to to good gospel work and, and to charities to feed the poor and that kind of stuff. I couldn't pray that prayer. Could you? I keep £10 million myself and give the rest. We're selfish by nature. 
the point of the lots is that, and, and the point of it, who wins, is the fact that it's God's decision. Does that mean we should all break fortune cookies or, or kind of flick coins every now every time we need to make a decision? Oh, shall I, you know, shall I get up early or shall I not? Shall I put the snooze button? Oh, okay, yeah, we're sorted. That everything's fine. God is sovereign. He's made no. Because you see, we have far more wisdom and revelation from God than the apostles ever had. Because we have the whole of the Bible in front of us on our laps now. When the Bible doesn't give specifics, whether you should get up or have a lie in, you know, we've got wisdom that from the Bible to, to make those good and right decisions. To guide our thinking. In the end, we do have the freedom to choose. So this morning, was it an early morning? Or did you choose to have a lion? Well, that's your choice. And I hope it was governed by God's sovereign wisdom through the Bible. Now the apostles had had read the scriptures and they weren't expecting angels or or voices from heaven or or writing on the wall or anything like that. So, So many people today expect that kind of thing, don't they? I want, I want these big pictures from God to, to kind of make my path clear. But the apostles rather, they submit to the choice of who would be the twelfth apostle. They submit themselves to Jesus and his sovereign word on the matter. Because it was his choice. And I pray that we do the same. That we submit ourselves to God's sovereignty. As we come before him in his word. So they present this one distinct historical decision to Jesus. And they do so through lots. So he could sovereignly overrule. Matthias is appointed. And the people of God are now ready to receive the spirit. The team is ready to establish the church. The cornerstone is in place. That is Jesus is enthroned in heaven. And the full team of witnesses is on the field. They're ready. The apostles. They're waiting for the spirit to come. Can you imagine the expectation? It's like the opening ceremony of the Olympics is about to start. And we're all there watching it. 30 million of us in this country. The expectation was brilliant, wasn't it? Except it's infinitely greater. These 12 are the original witnesses to Christ. Informing the world of his works and what requires following him. But these apostles are not alive now, are they? We can't go and see them. So how are we meant to know how to live today? This next week? And in the years to come? The answer is very simple to close. These same witnesses, empowered and inspired by the Holy Spirit, they wrote the New Testament. They put God's words down that you are now reading in your lap. Read it. And the apostles are as much with us at that point, if you like, as as it would have been if we were around with them, walking around in the book of Acts. They speak today, the Spirit speaks today through their words, through God's words, to us. Read their words. Hear of Christ's ministry through them 
in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Look around you. Their spirit-empowered ministry, the apostolic spirit-empowered ministry has even reached Earlsfield. We are about to sing one of my favourite hymns to close. I want you to answer, think about this question as we look at it. Why don't you just turn to the words, if you can. You'll see it, it, it's so well formed um, as, a, as, as, a, as a hymn. That's, uh, just have a look at it. Every second half of each verse says this, But this I know. My question to you is this, how do you know? You know because twelve men were appointed trained and later empowered and inspired to write down everything Jesus wanted us as his world to know because he loves us so much and he sustains us. But this I know, if you have read your Bibles, you know it and it is true. It is God's inspired word to you to direct your hearts and your minds to him, to direct your life to glorify him. And more importantly to you, maybe right now, to bring you the greatest joy that you will ever know. But this I know. You know it. Because 12 men were appointed and inspired to write it down. That's how much God loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you of these amazing works um, of, of yours through these apostles. We thank you that we know your love for us, what you desire of us, what you have in store for us, because you appointed these 12 men and they wrote down your words inspired by your spirit. We thank you for this wonderful gift of your word. And we pray that all that it promises we know will be fulfilled, as we were looking at earlier with the kids. And we thank you for that assurance, and we long for the day when we will meet you face to face. Amen. As Andy just said, the talks have